You may be seated and invite Dr. Dominic Aquila to come up. When I saw he was speaking tonight, our session thought, well, I mean, you know, the only thing better than having Dominic come to preach in the evening is to have him come preach in the morning also. So, so we're glad that you're here and administer God's word to us this morning. Can't run away, no. It's great. Um, good to be here, and I appreciate uh, Skip that testimony. Uh, I wasn't aware of all that. If I'd known that in the class, I would have given you a lesser grade, you know. <laughs> oh, I mean a better grade, right. I should have said. I said that wrong. I, the, uh, <laughs> the, um, now, having a, a seminary in a uh, church associated with the ministry is a good way of doing discipleship, and that's how Pastor Doug really expect, uh, experienced and wanted it to be. And uh, so it was good uh, to have uh, that relationship. So right after I was installed as pastor in 2001, uh, he contacted me and says he'd like to have this extension here. And so we went to the board, and uh, the board approved it, and it started in 2002. And uh, indeed, God has uh, blessed it mightily, and we thank the Lord uh, for that. We also, you know, had um, an extension in Egypt, which we started in 2010. And we've had uh, six graduating classes there and close to 100. I think tonight when we have the graduation here, it'll be the sixth graduation that we've had here. Uh, and uh, we are coming up on our uh, 30th uh, anniversary of being in Colorado Springs, uh, starting, having started in uh, 1993. So a lot of uh, anniversaries uh, that are coming up in, uh, in, with the seminary. And we're just a, a small little seminary down the road. You know, there are others that cover the do, uh, world like to do, but uh, we just do where God has placed us, and we're re rejoicing. And I like the idea also that Skip mentioned that the intent is to be uh, engaged in discipleship, and that's basically what I see seminary education as being. Sometimes we think it's for folks to be eggheads, uh, and, uh, and some come out that way, but they come in that way too, you know. So. <laughs> But we don't recommend them for ministry after they leave, though, you know. So uh, that's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that God has blessed us through. Okay, let me invite you now to uh, turn uh, to your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'm again reading this, hopefully it's familiar to those of us that are always looking for sort of the grand comfort of the Lord, this portion of um, Romans 8, beginning at verse 28 and reading through the end at verse 39. This is God's Word. Let us remember that even in its reading, uh, it is God by His Spirit who gave it in a God-breathed fashion, uh, and so it has its authority, stamp of authority, is also now speaking and illuminating our hearts as the word is being read, beginning at verse 28. And we know that uh, for those uh, who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What, shall the, the, what then shall we say uh, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Uh, who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who has been raised? Who is at the right hand of the God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. Uh, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When uh, we read a book, if we are honest with it, we start at the beginning and work our way through the middle and all the way to the end. Especially if it's a mystery, we don't try and read to the end to see who done it. So we start out, it was a dark and stormy night. And we see what the dark and stormy night did, uh, gave. It takes us through the narrative. It rises as it gets climactic. Uh, what is happening with all the different individuals and circumstances in that book, and then it begins to come down to the end, and they say if it's a right ending story, and they he lived happily ever after. Uh, now, so most stories follow that kind of process. And you know, there's a sense in which that's what we have here in this passage and what we have in the Scripture. There is a dark and stormy night when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and brought sin into the world, and God had to then curse them and the world, and we still pay the price for that now. But there was in that midst of that narrative that God made a promise, and He said, I'm going to redeem. And in the midst of all that suffering and in between time, when we still face the groaning of the curse and the world in which we're living, I'm going to bring it to a good end so that then it comes to the end and they lived heavily, happily ever after because indeed we will in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're in this in-between time. And what we have in the Scripture then are these details, these stories, these narratives, these doctrinal propositions and truths, and never different ways, all saying the same thing. It started out bad. It was dark. Uh, the sin was gloomy. The curse still weighs on us. And we groan as all of creation groans. But the end is coming when Jesus comes. And we will live happily ever after in him. And that's the promise that God has made to us. And in that sense, then, as Paul will say here in a moment, as we look at it in verse 37, we are more than conquerors. And this is something that Paul is saying, let me give you this broad landscape. Let me give you this panorama of all the, the promises and purposes of God so that we might be encouraged in this time to live. 
So these are not just hoping against hope. It's not whistling with the idea that we might be able to get past some tragedy. It's not just, uh, you know, gritting our teeth and burying it because we're responsible to get it done. No, it, this, this is a story of God's purpose and how he sustains us through every aspect of life. And that's what we have in this brief here time. And so really what we have in these verses are a summary of what the scripture promises to us. And I trust that it'll be encouraging for us as we see where we are right now, uh, what God has promised and what is yet to come. Now it starts out with a a number of statements here. Uh, In verses 28 through 30, we have basically the overall purpose of God stated very simply, uh, very succinctly. Um, and the, um, and the uh, succinct uh, statement is, uh, for, uh, reading from another translation now, uh, for, um, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and notice this, who have been called according to his purpose. And God tells us what that purpose, so we're called to a purpose. So it's not just a calling in general, but a purpose. And then verse 29 lays out what that purpose is, that we have been called according to God's purpose in order that we might be conformed to the likeness or to the image of Christ. The word image in there is, gives us our word icon. The idea is that we look at Christ and what he is in his uh, holiness, in his ethical life. That is what we are purposed to become like. And so the purpose of God is given to us there. And then it goes and just opens it up from beginning to end and said all the way back, verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He gives us the whole gamut just in one summary verse. And you have to unpack those words as you go through the scriptures to understand how it addresses every aspect of our lives. And so there's that purpose. Now, coming off of that then, by the way, the focus is going to be primarily in verses 37 through 39. So I'm just running down here to sort of lay the the, the scene for you uh, clearly. So beginning at verse 31 and going through verse uh, 36, we have five questions. And he answers them. We're not going to exposit all those five questions. We're just going to state them, give the brief answer, just to show that it's arriving at something. It's moving somewhere to show the purpose of God and how he directs our our lives. And so first uh, question is, if God, in verse 31, if God is for us, who is against us? There we can see the protection of God. Anyone is against you know, we can feel the power. In fact, when he quotes the, what he does in verse 36, sometimes that's a very difficult verse just to what is Paul talking about. He says, for your sake, we are killed all day long. Uh, that's from Psalm 44, verse 22. It's in a part of the Psalms in which the psalmist is crying out to God and saying, I feel abandoned. I don't feel like there's any hope. And so because we, are, we belong to you, Uh, We are being killed. That is, we're being persecuted. We're being uh, uh, defiled by things that are taking place. So in that context, a sort of expositing of of Psalm 44, uh, Paul asked the question, if God is forced, then who really can be against us ultimately? And here we see the protection of God because uh, the psalmist ends up that section by talking about, I am protected by God. So rise up, O God, and help me in my time of need. 
Well, the second question and comment in verse 32 is God's provision. He says, who, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not along with, uh, with him also freely give us all things? It's saying, how will God not do that? Can you see that? If God gave us his son as the guarantee of our redemption, along with that, will not he also give us all the other benefits and blessings of life? In other words, I, I like to put it this way so we get it, because sometimes we wonder if God really cares. So the way I put it is like this. If the only thing, the only thing that God gave to you and to me was Jesus, he would already have given us the best. So if he did not take care of you, if he allowed you to falter and fail and to fall on your face and have a miserable life, he would already have given you the best. Amen. But notice, he doesn't say that. He wants to superlatively say this. If he did give you his son, which he did, then won't he also give you other things and provide for you and sustain you and keep you? and provide for you? Ah, that's, so the answer is, Paul's asking, it's almost answers itself, doesn't it? And so there is the provision of God. So here's protection, there's provision, and now notice in verse 33, there's pardon. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And here the idea is that, uh, that our own sin can sometimes attack us or we will attack ourselves, and we'll point the finger back at ourselves. I can't believe that God really cares about me. I see how vile and sinful I am, and I can't believe that God, who is holy altogether, would care about me. So sometimes we bring the charges against ourselves, don't we? You find yourself doing that? I can't believe it. Well, God is the one who justifies. But the, also, the other one who accuses is Satan himself. Uh, Satan is called the accuser of the people of God. And he sometimes loves to come up, you know, as we're praying before the throne of grace. And there's almost like we have in the book of Job this happening, where Satan is allowed, he's given permission to stand before God. And he says, your servant Job, you, you've put a hedge around him. Take that hedge away and let me have Adam and we'll see how much he really follows you and uses all those pious language. God said, okay, I'm going to keep a little hedge up so you can only go up so far. And he brought charges against Job. Ultimately, what did Job say? Even though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Why? Because God justified him. And so the same thing here. So there's pardon. But there's also power. Look in verse 34. Uh, who is it he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. He's making intercession for us. So God is, through his power, has caused Christ to be raised from the dead. And so who, who can condemn? Uh, and uh, who, uh, who, yeah, who can condemn? No one. He can't do it. Uh, and so the power of God is shown. Verse 35, 
gives us our perseverance. And this really is the narrative that follows through all the way through verse 39. Then so he finally ends up, therefore, if all of these things are true, who, who exists or what exists, whether it's in this world, whether it's in our own being, whatever, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he asks a number of questions that are more present tense kinds of things because this is the first of two lists. The other list we'll find in verse 30, uh, 38 and 39. And this one are the various things that we're going through. Who can separate from the love of Christ? Uh, can tribulation, that is persecution. Somebody uh, charging us with uh, certain events because you're a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian. I don't like you. Or you're going to go through some kind of tribulation that's either emotional or physical, uh, you know, stressful. It's going to be there of some form. It's going to be there. Or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Okay, and there could have been a longer list. And Paul is just saying, can any of these things separate? And he says, no, he is the preserver. He keeps us in the love of Christ. And I'm going to say more about that love in just a moment. And that's when he says, as it is written, and he quotes from Psalm 44, because what does he say as it is written? He's quoting from this passage that just says uh, that because I belong to the Lord and the testimony is there, that testimony is so contrary to everything that's the, in the world in which I'm living. I'm living in light because of my relationship with God. The world is all in darkness, and the darkness doesn't like the light. And what does John say? The darkness is always trying to snuff it out, trying to put it away so it doesn't exist. And the light, because it's Christ's light, can never be snuffed out, no matter how hard the darkness attempts to do it. And that's why he quotes from that passage. Interesting how he, Paul uses the Old Testament to validate and give us clarity about how God directs us uh, and how he was directing the Old Testament saints as well with these words of comfort. And so he preserves. So the purpose of God, his protection, his provision, his pardon, power, and then perseverance. Isn't that wonderful? We could stop right there, but I'm not. <laughs> you have to go a little bit more. Because he comes now to the end here, and there are two principles that I see him, that I see uh, uh, Paul giving. The first one is that we prevail in victory through Christ's love. We prevail in victory, verse 37. Yet in all of these things, what things? All of these things that are contrary to living the Christian life. All the things that are stressful. All the things that uh, fall upon us and we're, going, we're crying out to God, oh, I can't take it, the pressure's too much. Oh, you know, we're going to a Mary Martyr routine. Oh, Lordy. Or what I call the Elijah routine. Oh, Lord, I'm the only one that's faithful to you anymore. And God said, there's 7,000 to having to bow the knee to Baal, so quit it. <laughs> you aren't the only one. So no more Elijah martyr, oh, Lord, I can't take it. No more of that. No, no. In all of these things, no matter how they interact, because of all the things we just said, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. This one is, you know, sometimes we hear the word conquer. Well, that's a, that's a battle term, isn't it? Well, uh, this is one time where 
uh, to study the original language really helps a little bit. So I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek this morning. And I want every one of you to, you know, I'm going to give it to you in translate, transliteration. That the word that Paul uses here, it's the only time he uses it this way in the whole New Testament. It's a combination where Paul loves to put together compound words. And sometimes he'll make them up just to give <clears throat> a real emphasis. And here we have the word, the word that you already know because it's a, it's a well-known shoe, Nike. Okay, that's the Greek for victory or to conquer. So now you know a little bit of Greek, right? You wonder where that word Nike came from? No, it, just, it comes out of the, the Greek. It means nikao. It comes from to, to conquer, to prevail. All right, but then he puts another ver, adverb right there next to it. It's hooper or hyper. You know, you think of something that's on steroids, hyper something. The, you know, the, these hyper missiles that I've just been hearing about. Uh, something that is above, that's grand. It's boom, boom. It's boisterous. It's booming. So he takes hyper and he puts it with Nike and we get Hooper Nikos. Hooper Nikos, H-U-P-E-R, and then N-I-K-O-S. Hooper Nikos. So he is saying, Paul is, yet in all these things we are Hooper Nikos. That's who you are in Christ. He's not saying you will become that. He says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right now, in the present age. So as this narrative of the story is going forward from the dark and stormy night in the garden when everything fell apart, which should have been wonderful and idyllic, all the way until Christ will come again and we will be completely in his presence. In this in-between time, right now because of Christ's work that of protection and provision and pardon and power and perseverance, we are now Hupernikos. Now you may not feel it, but it's true. So in, the, in your mind, you can say Hupernikos, okay? And so when you feel like you're pelted, we're being assaulted all the time, and when you're going through your Elijah complex, you can say, whoa, 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 whoa. time out, time out. I'm Hupernikos. I'm more than a conqueror. Notice, you don't say he conquers. Now, we conquer because of Christ. Okay? The word here is do not, the, the Nikos part, in John 16, 33, where Jesus says, don't live in the world with fear and tribulation because know this, that I have overcome the world. The word overcome is this word, Nikos. I have victory over the world. And he says that's a present reality that you and I have. So we prevail in the Christian life through and have victory through Christ's love. Again, I'm going to come back to the love part in just a moment. So that's an important consideration for us as we live and walk in the Christian life. Who are you? Where are you in that story? The purpose of God is to eventually bring you to a fullness of grace, a fullness of redemption, which will be experienced completely when we're in his presence. But in the meanwhile, he has not abandoned you. He has not walked away from you. He's not only given you Jesus. He's given Jesus plus... All of those are the promises that he has and purpose for you and for me as we're living our lives, no matter how treacherous it may be along the way. All right? So we prevail as hupernikos. 
We are more than conquerors because Christ has already conquered. And then, secondly, in verses 38 and 39, he says, we, he is, Paul is persuaded with confidence through God's word of promise. God is he's the persuaded through confidence, and we have confidence. For I am persuaded. I have confidence. I'm absolutely assured. That word can be translated in a number of ways. But it's a bold assertion and context. Uh, I am persuaded, convinced, con uh, knowledgeable. That, now he gives another list. This other one is now that more that it's uh, cosmic. That is, there are things that are happening spiritually in the universe. And we are part of that whole cosmic battle that's taking place. And we are led by our conqueror, Jesus Christ. So, what is it? So, neither death nor life. So, he's going to use uh, great opposites. Neither death nor life. Angels nor principalities. And here, he's talking about the angels are the good angels. The principalities are the evil angels. So, the spiritual warfare that's taking place in the heavenly realms. There are powers, the same thing. So principalities and powers are really referring to the evil side of things. We're, the angels are the good ones. Nor things present, nor things to come. So what we have now or what we anticipate. Do you already worry about tomorrow? Remember what Jesus says? You just take care of today. Tomorrow has its own time. Uh, height nor depth. Here the idea is judging uh, how we, they tend to see the universe, uh, the heights being heaven, uh, the uh, earth, uh, the, the depth being the, um, you know, hell or Sheol, nor any other creative thing. Paul doesn't list anything. So finally he says, I'm going to throw everything here against the wall, see what sticks. Nothing like this shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the, the persecutions, the daily distresses, uh, the people poking their finger at, oh, you're a Christian and making fun of us, all those kinds of things, they won't separate from the love of God because he holds you. And none of the other parts that appear to be so magnificent, so, so grand that we can hardly even conceive that we're part of this grand design in God's purpose. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Now, again, let me have to refer to the language that sometimes Hebrew scholars get their um, minds twisted around in things about is this love that we have for God or is it the love of God that he has for us? Uh, let me assure you that the context and other places where Paul speaks like this, this is nothing can separate us from God's love for us, not our love for God. In other words, you and I are weak. And if it depended on us to hold on to God for dear life, we would lose. You know, so you think of a guy that's holding on, you know, oh, you know don't let me go, don't, you know, I'm, I'm holding on, my hands are getting tired, oh, I can't, you know, I can't. Oh, I'm going to fall. If it depended on us to be the ones who held on, there would be no sense of victory. No, this is God's grip, God's power, and that, nothing can separate us from God's hold on us. He grasps us. He holds us. Jesus even speaks that way, doesn't he? Uh, about those who are in the Father's hand, nothing can snatch them. There'll be attempts to snatch, 
but nothing will be able to snatch you out of my hand. The security that we find. And so here is God's love. Again, even ask that question, who shall bring, uh, who shall separate us from the love of God? No one, nothing in all creation can do that. So I just want you to be assured this morning, I don't care what issues are, whether it's a present crisis, it's an emotional distress, it's an relational breakdown, it's a financial concern, worried about how much money it's going to cost to fill up the car again, all those kinds of things, you know? Uh, you know, we can point the finger, you know, I did that, you know, that little thing with Joe, I did that, you know? We get ourselves all bent up into a knot. And all that time, here's what Paul is saying, that nothing in all created order, no event, no circumstance, is able to rip you away from God's grip of you. That's what you have. That's the promise that he's making. And we're not, this, that's part I'm saying is we're getting close here to that end where it says, and we lived happily ever after. Because that's the promise and the shadow, the reality of what is one more step and we will be there. But right now, I'm going to give you a foretaste, Jesus says, God, Paul says, of being held in God's love. He sustains you in that way. I, I, I mean, it's just great, you know, when you look at chapter 8, sometimes it's called, of Romans, called the golden chapter of the Bible. How does it begin? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing, right? Notice again, don't forget the little words. There is therefore now. Paul's not talking about the future. He's talking about now. This is yours. There's no condemnation. Why? Because God has justified us. He has forgiven us of our sins all through the merit of Jesus Christ for us. There's where our hope really is and where it really lies. So what is it that we have to hope on? is that God's grip on us is so tight and so firm that, and it's in, uh, seen through the lens of who Christ is and all that purpose that he gives, all those big words in verse 30, that, that we have something concrete. This is not wispy. This is not uh, whistling past the graveyard, if you know what that means, that we're afraid there might be some spooky spirit that's going to come out so we whistle and keeps the spirit away. You know, we're not afraid of the darkness because God has made it plain. Nothing shall separate us. So we'll know, there's no event that will separate my love for you, my grip for you, from you. Nothing can break my hold because God's hand never gets tired. When we... Uh, read, I'm glad that Skip had mentioned earlier about the Shorter Catechism, I almost leaned over to Pastor Sean and said, well, you see, the Shorter Catechism does have a purpose. <laughs> it showed him what he didn't know, uh, and as opposed to what he knew. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it has one of the, that famous first word, you know, what is the chief end of man, of God? The chief end of God, of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, someone has said maybe it should be at the chief end of God is to glorify God and to, and to enjoy him forever, which is a, would also be appropriate and right. Uh, but the Heidelberg Catechism, 
uh, starts out in that same way, a little bit more personally, but still captures its essence, and then also sort of wraps itself up around Romans 8. Uh, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his perfect and precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Isn't that wonderful? It's not over. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholly, wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What is your only hope in life and death, and your only comfort? It's that you are in the strong grip of God through his son, your Lord Jesus Christ, who has secured the victory, and he has says, now you're hupernikos. Enjoy that victory. Live in it. And don't allow the things of this world to dissuade you and keep you from really realizing that's where your focus ought to be. But if you get off of it, God always has a way of bringing you back because, remember, it's part of the grand purpose of God. Those whom he loves calls according to his purpose, and his purposes will never be diminished nor thwarted. That is a hope. That's the good news for you, for me, for all believers at this time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of your provision and your power and your purpose, that everything in Christ has been given to us and we rejoice in that. But I know, Father, because we're human beings, we're seating right, seated right now, we're listening, and we may be saying, yes, but. But, God, the, the, I'm the exception, or this event's the exception. And I pray, Father, that what your word will do is just say, no, there are no exceptions in this artillery, and all, everything in all creation. So Paul sort of captures it all in case there's something loose end that someone may come up with. And Father, for that we thank you, so that we will be stirred to realize that the victory is already in Christ, and we have called, been called to live in him, and may we exhibit